Here's Father Jim. Father Jim, we have double digits online and a few faithful souls here in person. And uh, let me um, turn on your microphone. There you go. So, um, Jim, at this class, we've been focusing on what I'm calling the vital signs of the spiritual life. So if the physical body has four vital signs, I've kind of created four vital signs of the spiritual life, uh, which are all begin with G, because I figure we got to keep things simple in our soundbite age, right? So there's God, which is time spent with God in prayer and worship. So it's the measurable is time. Uh, give, the measurable would be how much you give portion of your income, but also your time. Grow, which is how you learn and, and develop as a person, which is the hardest to measure. And then the fourth and most neglected, I would say, is group. So right now we're on grow. How'd you get so smart? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. It's already beyond me. Oh, no, yeah. it's not. But anyway, I remember you in seminary talking about, we talked last week about one of the essential tools in growth is just to read the scripture daily. Mm -hmm. And sort of, sometimes it's frustrating and annoying, but you do it anyway with this, with this belief that it's going to somehow get inside you and, and grow with you, even though it's a struggle. And I remember you talking about finding some letters from one of your relatives. Mm -hmm. Would you tell them that story? Sure. Um, if I can remember it, that's you have a good memory to remember well, that. Well, it was you're such a good storyteller. I don't forget your stories. This is this is a really long time ago. This is long before seminary. I had uh, we were cleaning out my great grandmother's house, and she was 97 when she died. Believe it or not, her son, my grandfather, is still alive at 102. Uh, You've got I, some seriously good genes. He was he was totally 100% independent till 100 and a half. He lived in his own house, made his own food, and he liked to say, I live on my own money. He was, that was <laughs> very important to him. Uh, but he did have a bad fall uh, about a year, year and a half ago, and he's physically in bad shape, mentally in great shape. He told me just a couple days ago, he talks on the phone all the time, and he told me a couple days ago that um, I said, I brag about you. And he said, well, you can brag about me, but you have to die of something, and I haven't got anything. <laughs> So it was his mother when she died, and we were cleaning out her house, and we found the love letters between my great-grandmother and her husband when they were courting, uh, and it was just this spectacular treasure trove, and they were almost like, you know, an archivist couldn't have done a better job. She had so carefully saved them, wrapped them by year in um, like a rubber band, and then they were in like wax paper. They were, they were important to her, and she knew and so we had the whole story of their life in these letters. And I think the connection that I made back when Kate heard me talk about this a million years ago, um, when my hair was the color of Kate's, um, was that like the scriptures, we kind of saw my grandmother as this, my great grandmother, as this 97-year-old kind of irrelevant queen almost. You know, like we didn't know anything about her life as kids. But when we were reading these letters, all of a sudden we're, hearing about them falling in love. We, heard, we read about them sneaking into Fenway Park. We um, read about them, uh, their, their courtship and, you know, some, some racy stuff that we probably weren't supposed to read, which were you know, <laughs> racy for the day, but it was awesome for us. I mean, she, she came alive for us. And so that was the connection to the scriptures that I, you know, in some ways the Bible feels, can sometimes feel sort of like this kind of daunting, irrelevant queen until you get underneath the pages and really start to know her. Yeah, and I remember one of the things I thought about when you told that story was 
when we read the Bible, even though it's kind of unpleasant and sometimes racy, mm -hmm. it's it's about us. Mm -hmm. It's about our people and and who we were and are. <laughs> and, and even though it may not be nice, that's just the reality of our world. So. One, one of the uh, professors that Kate and I had together uh, said that dysfunctional family is a redundant term. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that, yes. Churchill? But, uh, you know, that's when we read the Bible and we read about dysfunction or things that don't fit for us. Like, think about your own family. I, I just heard uh, Dr. Fauci on TV say, because of the vaccines, we're going to be able to gather with our families for the holidays about any trouble. And I thought, well, you don't know my family. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the biblical family, too, you know? So, so Jim, tell us a little bit about um, your practice. Like, how do you... Um, as a priest, I know one of the things that's a blessing, you and I have talked about this before, is when you have to preach, you're forced to grow because you have to keep telling people new stuff. So <laughs> you've got to read. Yeah. But what is your, how do you further your own formation mm -hmm. as a person, as a priest? You alluded to the first one, uh, which is, I mean, it sounds like I'm trying to be funny and I'm really not, but I think in some ways God made me a priest so I would join a church. <laughs> and, and, but I mean, I mean that. I mean that sincerely in a way, because, as Kate said, when you have to preach, you have work to do. I mean, if you have even the tiniest little bit of pride, you're not. You don't want to stand up in the pulpit and embarrass yourself and not be prepared. And so it requires that you get down into the text to think and to pray. And so that discipline. I mean, I, if I didn't have a deadline, I'd still be working on my first sermon from 24 years ago. <laughs> but, I, but because of the discipline of these deadlines, we work. And that's really good for me. I was telling Kate over dinner last night that, you know, when, if it's 10 o'clock at night and, I, and my cell phone goes off and I look and I have a text and someone's coded at the hospital, you know, I am not St. Francis. I really don't want to go. I really don't want to go. I, I love God's people. I love the person. But I don't want to do that. And you wouldn't either. But I go. That's the discipline of the calling. And I go, and 99 times out of 100, if not 90, 999 out of 1,000, I come back from that hospital visit and think, oh, my gosh, what a blessing to have this work. And yet every time it goes off, I think, oh, gosh, another time. But every time I learn and I grow. So I feel like in some ways this collar has been really helpful for my journey because it requires things of me that I probably wouldn't require of myself. And it's been really good for me. Like, my wife is really good for my exercise routine. You know, she, I mean, she makes sure that I do. She doesn't hound me about it. She says, let's go for a walk. And so we walk an hour every single morning. And I feel like a wimp if I say no, so I go. And I don't <laughs> want her to think I'm a wimp, you know? Yeah, and that's the challenge for the, for the priesthood of all believers, for the baptized. And that's why we're talking about these vital signs is, you're right. The ordained, we have these mandated, we, we have a job, so we have to show up. But when you're a lay person, you show up because you just love to come or because you're disciplined enough to make yourself come. So I think we're trying to figure out as a church, how can we bind ourselves to the, to the church? When you give people a job, they tend to come more. Yeah. And we need to help people by um, requiring things of them asking them to attend classes or groups or to read the scripture right. um, because that practice is so essential. Yeah. One of the uh, little sayings that everyone on our staff at Christ Church in Raleigh knows is if you can do it with five people, do it with 15. Oh, that's a great every, phrase. Every single person on that staff would know that. That's, what you, that's, how, that's just what you're talking about. 
we need we need all of us together to do things. So if we can divide a job into 15 small parts, we will. Mm-hmm. And we want to be asked. But also, you know, as Kate says, you all don't have that discipline built into your life. And maybe you don't need it like I do. But but come to church. Invite other people to church. It's We need each other. You know, we need each other to, to show up. Like, I mean, you probably all heard this, but my mother used to say, you if you're ever in doubt about going to a funeral, you go to a funeral. Right? If you're on the fence about, well, I didn't know the person that was go to the funeral. And you're always glad that you did. And I would say the same about going to church. Yeah, there isn't, I don't know about you all, but I don't think there are many people that come to church and regret having come, unless Mm -hmm. it's really bad. Usually when we come, we feel good about the fact that we came, even if it wasn't that great. There's something aligning about it. You made God a priority. You feel, you feel aligned. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when we don't go, we just feel a little off. At least I do. Yeah. Yeah. So that practice of both prayer, worship, and learning is important. What other recommendations do you have for people that want to continue their growth? One of the things we talked about, Jim, was that curiosity in any discipline is a, can be a form of devotion. You know, learning about history, learning about science, quantum mechanics is like the new theology. Um, what what practices or disciplines do you love to study about that make you feel like you're growing closer to God that may not necessarily be quote unquote religious? Yeah. One of the things I think of when you say that is it's what it's one of the things I hope for, for my grandchildren, which is that, you know, how you learn, that you come to understand your best way of learning. That took me a really long time. Uh, like when I was a little kid, I loved to read, but I hated math. And so guess what? I did lots of reading and no math. And my report cards in eighth grade, let's say, really reflected that. Like, I just didn't take to it. I didn't like it. But as I got a little older and needed to learn things that were necessary, I found ways to learn them. And so I'm a very much a person who learns through my ears. So when I listen, if you tell me something, I will never forget it. If you write it to me in a note, I might forget it. That's like last night we were going out to dinner, but we were driving in two separate cars. And I said, I'll text you the address of the restaurant. He said, no, just tell me. I said, no, no, I'm not going to do that. But he knew what he was. He remembered the address. That's, yeah. that's amazing. Even in seminary, by the time I'd gotten to seminary, I knew enough about my own learning style that I almost never took notes in our classes. And I found that when exam time came along, there was an abundance of notes, but a kind of a a dearth of knowledge. <laughs> and so you'd get into a study group and someone would give you notes. But if I listened and watched a professor, I could really learn. And again, that's just nothing great about that. It's just knowing your own learning style. And, and my wife is the exact opposite. She, she, she's the person who needs to see it and read. She doesn't even like me to read her something I find interesting, like a three sentences. She's let me see it. You know, she wants to read it. Uh, so knowing how you learn, I think is a really big one. Just getting to getting a sense of it, not being embarrassed about it. It's just the way you're wired. God made you this way. The other thing I've learned, and this is knowing how to comfort yourself, and that took me a really long time to know what makes me feel better when I feel lousy. And, uh, you know, if you think about a little baby, you, you learn what tricks work for your baby to, to comfort them, whether they need to eat or to be snuggled or whatever. And I think we don't, as adults, know what comforts us. And particularly during COVID, learning healthy ways to comfort ourselves and uh, maybe before COVID, but maybe not much before COVID, two or three years ago, um, I started meditating, which I had never done before. And I have an app on my phone, and there are a million of these, um, that have, you know, just a huge library of guided meditations. And they're not religious, you know, in nature. Uh, 
but it's literally someone speaking to you and sort of walking you through a meditation and helping you to think, uh, to check your brain at the door, to get in touch with your breathing and your body. And uh, well, there's this one particular that I've probably listened to 75 times, it, you know, just use it all the time. It's 16 minutes long. It's this person with a really wonderful voice who just sort of carefully walks you through. And I just find it really helps me to feel better and to relax. And so very often, I would say most evenings before I go to bed, I'll meditate for maybe 15 minutes. And that sounds sort of highbrow. It's not. I mean, it's like listening to someone else tell you what to do and think for a few minutes. Um, I found that hugely helpful. Beautiful. Beautiful. I was uh, mentioning to them one of my favorite quotes is from Alice Walker's book, The Color Purple, when uh, Suge, the uh, nightclub singer, she says that she thinks it pisses God off when you walk by the color purple in a field and don't notice it. That maybe part of our growth is just appreciating um, new things as as they come into our lives and learning about them, whether it's people or other disciplines, um, just being fascinated by life. And I think that's another way we need each other, because I might walk past the color purple, but not if my wife is with me. Mm. She'll make sure I see it, and <laughs> I think I help her see some things. Nice. You know, having each other and having more than each other, having travelers to go with you, I think helps that a lot. Thank you. So you guys, I'd love for you to talk to each other now and talk about ways that you um, practice growth in your life, um, whether it's disciplines or different practices that inspire you. Um, and how can you bind yourself to those practices um, in order to keep yourself learning and growing? Uh, how does that sound? Great. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for being with us.